You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. Hey, there we go. You guys are you guys are waking up. Isn't that so much fun? It is so much fun to to be able to be a part of people's stories and just see what God is doing. Um, yeah, amen. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, if you don't know me. Um, so that's all I'll say about that. We have a lot to get through this morning, and, and I know that as soon as that smoke from the grill starts wafting in here, I'm going to lose your guys' attention because you're thinking about the dunk tank and who you want to dunk. Um, we're going to try and get Tina in there, and you know Stan's going to be on that, on that platform. So, um, so we have a lot of fun stuff today, but this morning we're going to go through, we're going to continue our walk through Genesis 29. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 29. And, and if, if you're new with us, if you're visiting this morning, we are continuing this walk through Genesis. This, this walk through this narrative, looking at who God is, and that's, that's what we're titling the whole thing, is introducing God. So, so when we look at Genesis, we understand that this story is not about you, it's not about me, it's not about the characters in here, but it is God's story. And this morning, as we turn here, what I want us to get, here's the big idea that I'm going to give you right off the bat, okay? That focusing on God gives us godly fulfillment. Focusing on God gives us godly fulfillment. Do you guys, do you guys remember Popeye the Sailor Man? You remember, remember that cartoon? Yeah, some of you, even younger ones. Yeah, okay. I didn't know people still knew what Popeye was. Like, um, but, but I remember, I love cartoons, still love cartoons. Um, not just because of my kids, but because I genuinely like them. But I remember Popeye every Every episode was the same thing. If, you, if you're new to the whole Popeye world, you can check it out. But every episode was the same thing, okay? Popeye and Olive, they're deeply in love, and they'd be doing something, or I don't know, on vacation or somewhere, living life, and then Bluto would come in, and uh, Olive would kind of get herself into a situation where, where Bluto would, like, scoop her up and start taking her away, and Popeye would try and come to the rescue, and he'd just get the snot beat out of him. Like, he just got owned by Bluto, who was this big brute. Um, and, then, and then it seemed like when things were just, like they couldn't get worse. Popeye was in a really difficult situation, or, or maybe, he, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of specific episodes, but they all run together. But he's, he's in, this, in this dark place, and it seems like when things can't get worse, it's then that he finds his salvation, that can of spinach that somehow tucks itself away in his shirt or in his pants or I, I don't know where he pulled it from. But it was always from somewhere and he was always able to open it, whether it was with his pipe or, or something. And he'd suck down a whole can full of spinach and then what would happen? Yeah, he gets strong. His forearms, for some reason, I don't know, the artists, they're like, oh, this is where the muscles live in the body, like the forearms. But his forearms, he would become just this massive force uh, for good, you know? And, and he would just, he would come in as a, as a, as a tornado of, of muscular forearms and tattoos and, and pipe, and he would just, he'd save the day. He'd rescue Olive and beat up Bluto, and then the next episode would be exactly the same thing on repeat. And I remember, I remember when the first time I was served spinach. Do you remember? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't have as overactive imagination as I do, but I remember as a kid, I, I can't remember if it was at school or if it was at home, but, but I remember getting spinach, and it's like, oh, spinach. Ooh, they just serve this to anybody? Okay. Let's, you know, and I was a scrawny kid, super small, and I remember eating that spinach for the first time just being like, 
No, the only thing I got was a terrible taste in my mouth because spinach is gross, super gross, especially canned spinach. If you like it, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Um, but see, it, it's, it's funny to think that in the mind of a, of a child, spinach would do the thing that we see it do on a cartoon, right? That it would bring fulfillment, that it would bring strength, that it would bring identity, that it would make things right in the world, in in wrong situations. But I suggest this morning that it's just as as comedic and just as foolish and just as misguided to think that anything can do that. That anything we see as we look around, as we focus on this world around us, that anything can bring that kind of fulfillment. That anything can bring that sense of identity, that anything can bring that sense of right into a wrong world. And what we see from the passage this morning, as we, as we look at just a messed up situation and a lot of difficulties and a lot of people who are hurting and who are victims of their situation, what we see is, is they are looking around them. They're looking at things, their society or, or whatever it is, they're looking for all these different things to bring fulfillment, and yet it isn't until they change their focus from looking around them to looking up that they find godly fulfillment. And I believe it's the same for us today. I think that we live in a world full of broken and hurting people because we're trying to find fulfillment from broken and hurting people and broken systems. And yet this morning, what we need to do as we look at Scripture is we need to put our focus on God who brings godly fulfillment. What I'm going to do as we, as we get into this, there's a lot of content here. Okay, starting with Genesis 29, we're going we're gonna to kind of read through a lot of it quick. I'm going to stop a few times and, and try and give some, some, uh, some commentary. But, but basically, Genesis 29, 1 through, uh, 1 through 30, sets the stage for, for where we're going to be and where we see this big idea come into play. All right, so buckle up, get ready. Hopefully, you have your Bibles or your phones open. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available. We'd love to get you one. Um, but let's, let's read together. Chapter 29, starting verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, it is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said to him, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Okay. There's a few things in there that, that when you read it, it's like, what? What, what is going on, right? If, you've, if you're new with us, 
just a, just a little bit of background. Jacob is in this situation. Why? Because things back home were really screwed up. Jacob is in this situation because his, his brother Esau wants to kill him because of what he did, because he, he, he tricked him out of his inheritance. He's, his, his mom was saying, hey, you just go to my brother's house. It'll calm down. Esau will forget. Just go. Just put, you, put some distance between you and the problem. And then, and then Jacob, uh, if you were here last week, Stan taught how, how uh, Jacob's dad, Isaac, blessed him and sent him out. And he's, he said, go, go, to your, go to your uncle's house. Find a wife there from his household. So, so Jacob gets pushed out because, because his situation is really difficult, and there's a lot of stress, and it's a lot of, I mean, his brother wants him dead. That's pretty messed up. And, and we see from the, the previous chapter that he goes out. He's all on his own. He has nothing. He's used to being super comfortable and all bougie in his, in his mom's tent, right? If you don't know what that means, it's okay. Um, but, but, and all he has now is a rock for his pillow. And yet God appears to him in that moment, and says, Jacob, I'm with you. I've got you. I know that there's a lot of stress. I know there's a lot of tension. I know, I know it's hard, but, but I'm with you. So stay with me. And now we see Jacob comes to this well. 600 miles he's traveled from his home to Haran. And he comes to this well. He meets these guys, and he's, he's getting some information. And he's saying, where are you from? From Haran. I, I can imagine Jacob's like, oh, that's where I'm going. That's, that's where I'm supposed to be. Well, do you know Laban? Yeah, we know Laban. See, Laban, the last time we read about Laban in Genesis, it's been almost 100 years from this point. So I'm sure Jacob's going to this place thinking, I don't even know if Laban's still alive, like what, what's going on. And they're saying, yeah, we know Laban. Look, there's, there's one of his, his daughters coming right now. Jacob was sent to Haran to find what? A wife. From Laban's household. Here is somebody from Laban's household coming to water her sheep. Right where All of these things are fitting together. We see what happens after it, there's a stone and, and I don't know, maybe he ate some spinach and rolled the stone away and just got like love just made him strong. I, I don't know. <laughs> there's some crazy stuff happening there. But he rolls the stone away. He, he waters the, the sheep and then he grabs Rachel, kisses her, starts weeping. She doesn't even know who he is. At this point, can you imagine how awkward this situation is? See, again, we read these stories and we forget that they're real people that actually lived. He kisses her and he's so, he's so overwhelmed. And, and we see there over and over, he's, he's looking and he's saying, Oh, these, this is the daughter of, of Laban, my mother's brother. The sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. He waters the sheep of Laban. His mother. I believe what Jacob is saying here is he's saying, Oh my goodness, God is still at work. Oh my goodness, even... Even in the midst of my messed up situation, God is still working. God is still faithful. God is still leading me to the places that he has for me. God is still, still, still intervening for my life. He is still with me. He is still moving me. Even in the midst of difficulty, he's still present. And he weeps and, and he's so overwhelmed with joy. And then, and then Rachel runs off, and Laban comes, and he gives him a big old hug, too. He says, come on, live with us, buddy. And so, so he comes, and it just seems like things are just, God's working and moving, and it's all fitting together. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall be your wages? See, he's been, he's been living here for a month. 
It appears as though he's working. He's, he's not just like lounging on the couch in their basement playing Xbox. He's, he's making himself valuable to, to the household. He's working, and Laban's like, man, i got to pay you something for all this stuff you're doing. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. All right, we see, we see two, two women. We see sisters here. Laban says, Jacob, what, what can I pay you? What, what do you need? I, I, can't, I can't just have you work for me for nothing. And it says that, that Laban had two daughters. And I love the descriptions <laughs> Of these two daughters, because first you have the older one, name is Leah, and this is not a slam on any. I have a, I have a sister named Leah, so this isn't a slam on anybody whose name is Leah. But it says Leah's eyes were weak, and that doesn't mean that she had poor eyesight. It doesn't mean she just like squinted all the time. It's like, man, you got weak eyes, girl. Like it's not that. It means that she lacked luster. What do I mean by luster? It means that she she lacked this this shine. She lacked the thing that, that drew people's attention to her. She was just, she was just that, that, that girl that was just kind of the, the afterthought, the side note, the, the one that nobody really, nobody really paid attention to. Maybe nobody really thought she would amount to anything. It's just like, oh, Rachel, it's all about Rachel. Oh, and, oh yeah, she's got an older sister. What's her name? Oh, yeah, Leah. Ugh. Because when it talks about Rachel, it says she's beautiful in form and appearance. She was, she was the girl she was the captain of the cheerleading team, right? She, she was the homecoming queen. She was, she was the one that, that we see, even at the well, she was the one that made Jacob get so strong that he rolled a stone away. Like she, she was the one that drew attention. And she was the one when Laban said, what do you want, what should your wages be? He said, oh, man, I am so in love with your daughter. I'll work for you for seven years just to marry her. See, that seven years... That was extravagant. This isn't, a, this isn't a thing where it's like, oh, yeah, seven years, that was, that was, that's how everybody did it. That's, not the way it. that's not the way it was. In commentaries, it said one year would have been sufficient. But I believe that what we see is Jacob was so taken by Rachel that he wanted to show his affection through his, through his efforts. And he says, I'll work for you for seven years. And that seemed good to Laban. And Leah, I mean, nobody, nobody's thinking about Leah but Rachel, think about, think about all the, the value that that would have placed on her. We see what happens after that. It, it says that those seven years, they went by like just a few days, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. He's saying seven years are done. Give me my wife. I finally, I mean, can you imagine seven years working for the day when you can receive your bride? Seven years working. Think about it from Rachel's perspective. Seven, this man said that he would pay seven years for me? Are you kidding me? And now the day has come, and it's, it's a joyous day, and they've been looking forward to it. Verse 22, so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? 
Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it's not so done in our country to give the youngest before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other one also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So what we see is this guy gets to the end of seven years. He's been waiting. He's been anticipating. He's been, he's been longing for the day when he gets to receive his bride. And on his wedding night, what happens is, is, is the father, Laban, puts forth Leah, the older, the older sister, the one who nobody thought was worth anything, the one who nobody thought would amount to anyone, the, the one who never caught anybody's attention. He put her forth. Now, now, there's a lot of reasons we can speculate why Jacob didn't catch this, why he's not like, hey, buddy, this is obviously not the same person. In, in this culture, most likely the, the bride would have been heavily veiled. Most likely this would have been at the end of the celebration. It's possible that, that Jacob's heart would have been very merry from the wine that, that probably was flowing at this, at this wedding party. And at the, at the time, you get to the next morning, and then it's all of a sudden, he's been deceived, and he goes to Laban, and he says, why'd you do this? And if you've been following along with us in the narrative, it's interesting because Jacob has been known as the deceiver, and now he's been deceived. And yet, because of this whole situation, I mean, think about all the people involved. Think about the brokenness here. When, when you think about these are real people, think about, think about all the hurt and pain and shame. Jacob had, had worked seven years to finally receive his bride, and now he's married to Leah. And, and Leah... Leah is the one who nobody thought she would amount to anyone, and her father had to, had to, had to marry her off, have to, had to offload her under deception and trickery so that somebody would love her, so that she would have a, have a life with somebody. Rachel, the one who waited for seven years to have her wedding night, the, the one who dreamed, maybe she was writing on her, on her notepads, Mrs. Rachel La- uh, Jacob. <laughs> You know, like, like she's writing these out, I love Jacob. Like, so like she's, she's dreaming of this day. She's waiting for this day and to have it taken from her by her own father and now to be in competition with her own sister. This is tragic. And, and the outcome is tragic. It says that, that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And yet this all sets the stage for what's about to happen. The love that Jacob has for, for Rachel, the, the deception of Laban, the, the outcast of Leah, all these things set the stage for what's about to happen because they're in a difficult situation. It's easy, it's easy, isn't it, when you're in one of these situations, super difficult, to get your focus on things around you, to ask the question, why? To ask, well, whose fault was this? Why am I put in this situation? And yet we read on, verse 31, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. 
She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. Let's stop there. Okay, what I want us to understand is that in this culture, to ha- for, for a woman, her whole identity was wrapped up in childbearing. Her whole identity was wrapped up in especially having a son. Because that was, that was a physical blessing. It was an emotional blessing. It was a spiritual blessing. It was a, it was a retirement plan. If, if a woman could provide in the way of, of bearing a son, then her future was secure. Then she was seen as valuable, valuable by the culture around her. And, and three times, Leah, this one who was never wanted in the first place, she keeps burying Jacob's sons. And, and three times she's saying, maybe now. Maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now because, because I'm, I'm, I'm showing myself as, as valuable. I'm, I'm having sons. I'm showing myself. She says the first time, she says, if, if you look at that, God sees, God hears. God hears, and, and she says, now my husband will love me because I had a son, because God saw that I'm hated. Now my husband will love me. And, and the, the name of the, her firstborn is Reuben. And literally the name Reuben means, look, a son. <laughs> it's like she's, he's, you know, she's on the delivery table, and they're like, it's a boy. And she's like, look, a son. Oh, that's his name? Okay, we'll write it down. First, and, and she's like, look, a son. Maybe now my husband will love me. And then she has another son. And, and the, the name of her second son is, is heard because she's saying, God has heard of my plight. He's, he's heard that I've been marginalized. He's heard that I'm oppressed. He's heard that I'm hated. And, and the name of the second son is Simeon, which literally means heard. And then, and then she has a third son. And the third son, uh, I love it because his name is Levi. And she says, maybe now my husband will be attached to me. Maybe he won't love me the way he loves Rachel, but maybe, maybe he sees enough value in me that he'll be attached to me and he'll see that I am valuable. And, and he'll start to put me, maybe he'll, 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 I don't know, he'll elevate me in his mind. Maybe, maybe now I'll be somebody to my husband. And she names his name Levi, which means attached to. And yet with every birth, we see that it does not fulfill. It doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't, doesn't bring about what she wants it to. And it reminds me of this, of this story I heard once, this illustration of, of a, a broken Pop machine, vending machine. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where, where you're like, man, I, I'm hungry or I'm thirsty, and you see a pop machine, and, and you're like, oh, sweet, I have, some, I have some change. And you go up to that machine, and you're like, okay, 50, I don't know, what is, I say pop, soda, my wife says Coke, pop. All right, pop. Uh, some, okay, we don't need a church split over what you call, <laughs> call soda, okay? All right, so I'm just, we're just going to say pop. If you get offended, you can dunk me in the dunk tank later. But uh, all right, so, so you go up to the pop machine and, I don't know, 50 cents, does that cut it still? No, yeah, all right, we'll just say it does. Okay, come on. All right, so, so you go up to the pop machine, and I have my 50 cents, and I, and I put it in, right? You hear the, the satisfying clink of the change going down, and you're like, hmm, what am I going to have, root beer? Oh, that's good. So you, you click it, and you stand back, and you, you want to hear that sound, right? The but nothing happens. So then you hit it again, hit it again, hit the change return, hit it again, shake it a little bit, right? 
Because that's just what you do. You just shake it if it doesn't work. And then, and then what would happen? And, and nothing happens. You don't get your change back. So, so then what happens? What if, what if it's like, okay, well, maybe two quarters isn't going to cut it. Maybe if I do like a quarter and I have a few dimes here, like, like maybe a, a different combination of change. Maybe that'll work. You put the money in. You, you, hit, the, you hit the button. Maybe root beer's out, so you hit cherry Coke. I, I don't know. But, but you, you try and keep getting things from this machine. You shake it. Maybe you think, well, if I approach it differently. Maybe, maybe, if I, maybe if I dress better, this machine will give me what I want. Maybe, maybe, maybe if I get a dollar bill out and I, and I like, make sure there's no wrinkles on the side of the machine and I feed it in there, nothing happens. See, at some point we have to realize that this broken thing that I am pouring my money into, that I'm pouring myself into, this broken thing is never going to bring me the fulfillment and the satisfaction I so long for. And yet that's what Leah, after every child, maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now I'll have, I'll have value. Maybe now I'll have identity. Maybe now I'll have purpose. But it wasn't until her fourth son that she says, okay, i got to stop looking around. And she says this in verse 35. It says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. See, after, after all this effort of pouring herself into this broken system, trying to receive what she so longed for from her broken husband, who's also in a really messed up situation, finally, after not receiving that and not, not getting it over and over and over again, she says, you know what? i got to stop looking around. i got to stop looking at my culture to see what I should be i got to stop looking at my family to see who I should be. i got to stop looking at all these things, and I have to elevate my understanding and my focus to put it on God because when I put my focus on God, that's when I receive godly fulfillment. And we do the same thing, don't we? Over and over and over again, we pour ourselves into broken systems and broken people thinking that we're going we're gonna to receive this fulfillment, and yet it's just like a broken pop machine where someday you have to stop and say, okay, I'm never going to receive what I want from this. I've got to stop looking around and start looking up. And that's what, that's what Leah did in this moment. And I wish I could tell you that the narrative stopped there. I wish I could say that, that, you know, Leah lived out the rest of her days with a godly focus and godly fulfillment and, and you know, we can have an awesome application and let's go dunk stand in the dunk tank. I wish that's where I could stop, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end, which I think is good news for those of us who never, who, who seem like we can't get this. Maybe one day you have a godly focus and then the next day you're focusing on all the things around you. Anybody in that situation? Where one day you're like, God, all my fulfillment is in you. All my hope is in you. All my chains are broken in you. My freedom is in you. My hope is in you. And this other thing. And, you know, and we put our focus on those things around us. And yet it is good news that the Bible doesn't whitewash any of its characters. It's good news for us. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep reading chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you, withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. 
So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy, so she called his name Asher. Stop there. Everybody in this story is in reaction mode. Do you get that? Everybody's just like reacting to, to the situation that they're in, in this messed up, broken situation. Rachel, she sees her, 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 her sister giving Jacob, her beloved husband, the one that she was supposed to have. She sees, she sees Leah giving him the children that she longed to give him. She, she sees her purpose quickly slipping away. She sees her value dwindling. Even though Jacob still loves her more than Leah, even though she, her place, her position is still secure, she lashes out because her life is not going the way that she hoped it would. And that's the first thing she does is she lashes out to the people that she loves. We do that, don't we? We lash. Things aren't going the way we think it should, the way we want it to, so we lash out at the people around us. We blame. We, we put our focus on them because our life isn't going the way we think it should. And, and then the second thing she does is she makes a really messed up situation even worse. Right? She, she makes the situation where she has to share the love and affection of her husband with another woman, her sister no less. And she's like, I know what will make this better. A third woman. <laughs> what? <laughs> See, the, I think Todd said a, a couple times, there's no situation so bad that we can't make it worse, Right? There's no situation so bad that we can't make it worse. It reminds me, when I, w- when I was in elementary, I, I was really bad at homework, really bad. Not a good student whatsoever. And, and my mom, I, I think it was after like a parent-teacher conference, which was always like kryptonite to me. I hated those things. And, and my mom decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more invested in my son's schoolwork. And so one, one night I get home, and my mom, she knew that I had a book report coming up. And so she said, hey, you got a book report coming up? I want you to go read your book. So I went downstairs, and uh, I, I went to get my book, and I realized very quickly that I had forgotten that book at school in my locker. So I did what any rational uh, elementary student would do, and I started playing Nintendo. Um, it wasn't long before that that my mom, you know, she called me upstairs for supper, and I, I came upstairs, and she's like, all right, where are you at in your, in your book report? I'm like, how, how far have you read? And I, and, and I was like, oh, man, I can't, I can't just tell her that I've been playing Super Mario Brothers. So, so I, I was like, oh, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I've read like 15 chapters tonight. I mean, just, like, I wanted to make it sound good so she'd be, she'd be pleased. But um, I, I think I overshot it because she's like, really? Wow, that's, that's really great. Show me. Okay, so, so I, I walk downstairs, and it's like that dead man's walk where it's like, you know, you walk downstairs, and I'm just standing in my room thinking, what am I going to do? And, and so I went back upstairs, and I said, Mom, you never believe this, but I lost my book. 
She's like, what are you talking about? You lost your book. You, were just, you just said you read 15 chapters. Where's your book at? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I lost it. She said, go downstairs. Get your book. Let me see where you're at. So I went downstairs again. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I went back upstairs. Yep, still lost. So she's like, you know what? I'll help you look. Oh, my goodness. Like, th- this is just getting bad to worse to, to like, mortal. Like, this is, this is terrible. So she comes downstairs. She's looking everywhere in my room, thinking, like, there's got to be this book somewhere. She's looking. Then while this is all happening, my dad gets home. My dad gets home thinking, okay, I'm hungry. I'm ready for supper. He's like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing downstairs? You know, and, and uh, my mom's like, well, I'm helping Luke look for this book that he just lost because he's been reading and he got 15 chapters read. And, uh, and, and so he starts helping. I'm dead at this point, right? I honestly don't know what happened to the end of that story. Like I don't, at some point, I'm sure they figured it out. I'm sure they figured, but here's the reality. Here's the thing. When we get into situations where we, where we are reacting, where we're looking around and we're thinking, maybe this will help. Maybe this will fulfill. We can very quickly make bad situations worse. Whether, whether Guys, whether it's, whether it's people where, where you're in a relationship and you're, you're ignoring clear signs that I shouldn't be with this person and yet, yet maybe it becomes physical because you're, you're afraid of being alone. Maybe, maybe there are times where you, life isn't going the way you think it should, and so you lash out at your loved ones, and you try and separate yourself, and, and things aren't going the way you should, so you separate yourself from community. And you, you sink deeper into depression and despair. Or, or maybe things aren't going the way you should, and, and there's, there's, maybe there's sin in your life because of the situation that you're in, and so you think, if I can just cover that up, if I can just bury that just deep, Maybe nobody will see. Maybe nobody will notice. You see, we're trying to look around and, and get fulfillment and get, get satisfaction and make, make a bad thing good again. And all we're doing is just heaping the bad on top of it. That's what happened in this situation. I mean, if you, if you continue to see what happens, it goes from bad to worse. In verse 14, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So he called his name Issachar. Okay. What? Right? First of all, what in the world is a mandrake? I actually, we have a picture of a mandrake um, up on the screen. So a mandrake is a, is a plant. It, I think uh, Harry Potter, maybe they're, they're in Harry Potter. Um, okay, no picture of the mandrakes. But, uh, but if, you, if you look up a mandrake, the roots of a mandrake kind of look like really weird little people. It's kind of weird. They have, they have these roots. And so, so in, in uh, ancient cultures, what they would do, they thought that these plants had, had uh, powers for f- fertility. And, and so, so here you see, and actually they're very hallucinogenic and actually poisonous. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. But, but uh, so what we have here in this situation, okay, what we see is we see Reuben 
the son of Leah going out trying to find this plant to, to help his mommy have a baby. At some point, somebody needs to have a conversation with Reuben how all that works, right? If, if your son brings you a plant and says, Mommy, this will help you have a baby, it's like, oh, honey, we, we should have a conversation about how babies are made, right? And, and yet, this would, be, this would be comedic if it wasn't so tragic. Because, again, we think about these are, these are real people with a real situation, with a real messed up place. And what we see is possibly everything I've read says that Reuben was maybe even not even as old as six years old, going out to try and help the situation that he found himself in. He, the, the dysfunction in this family was so messed up that he could see that, that mommy Leah needed to, have, needed to have more babies than aunt mommy Rachel to make daddy uncle Jacob happy with her. That, that's, what, that's what was going on in the mind of a six-year-old. You see, the reality is when we, when we are finding, when we are trying to find our purpose and our strength and our fulfillment in things around us, those things don't stay in us. Those things leak. In, in uh, Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, when, when we have hope that's deferred, when it's like a, this hope that's a carrot on a stick that's right out in front of us, and yet we just can't reach it, whether it's health or wealth or career or grades, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's having children or, or all these things, when it's right out there, what the, what the, what the proverb says is that that makes the heart sick. And heart sickness doesn't stay within you. What we see from Scripture is we hand that off. We will hand that off to the people around us. We will hand that off to the people following us. Parents, when your fulfillment is found in anything other than God, when your focus is not on God, which then brings godly fulfillment, your kids will see that. Your kids will be about the things that you're about. They will follow in your footsteps. They they will see the dysfunction in your home, and they will try and be a part of trying to fix that, and that is so tragic and dysfunctional. And even if you don't have kids, you have people following you. We've, we've talked about this before. Everybody has somebody following you, and the people following you are following it in your footsteps. And if they're looking at you saying, oh, that's where they find fulfillment, guess where they're going to try and find fulfillment? In the same broken systems, in the same, in the same hurt. And see, Reuben, he's going out, and he's trying to help out. And, and, then, and then we see this Leah Rachel sees that Leah has mandrakes, and she's like, oh, maybe that'll work. Somebody needs to have a conversation with all these people, right? Because she's like, hey, can, can I have your mandrakes? And then Rachel says, are you kidding me? Or Leah says, are you kidding me? You took my husband, you want my son's mandrakes as well? And Rachel says in that moment, if you give me your mandrakes, I'll give you Jacob for the night. <laughs> and, then, and then, I mean, if you, if you read that, it, it says that Leah goes out, she's waiting, she, she strikes this deal, she waits for Jacob to come in from the field, he comes in and she's like, you're with me tonight, buddy. And he's like, ah, okay. Like, it's not, like, it's just, she's like, Rachel's hired you out because of my son's mandrakes. Okay, I, okay, I guess. And yet, yet he, they, they spend the night together and she gets pregnant again. You see, the, the, the craziness of the situation is that Rachel, in this moment, because she is in complete reactionary mode, she thinks other things are, are going to bring her fulfillment. She thinks eating a plant 
is going to make her have a baby rather than spending the night with her husband. And it is a ridiculous thing. And yet, when we are in reaction mode, even ridiculous things seem plausible. Don't they? Even, even ridiculous things seem plausible. Putting the money in the pop machine a different way, approaching it a different way. Even ridiculous things seem plausible when, when, when people want to be in relationship because it's like, well, that'll, that'll solve my loneliness. Are you kidding me? Two lonely, broken people coming together, that's going to help? Okay, let's see how that works out. You know, that, people, people are like, if I just have a baby, then I'll have something that will love me unconditionally. Okay. <laughs> I have some teenagers right now. Let's see how that works out for you, right? I love my kids. Um, uh, like, people, people have this, they, they think, well, if I, just, if I just give more of myself away, if I, I've never found fulfillment in a job before, but maybe if I have a different job, maybe, maybe then I'll find fulfillment. Maybe then I'll find peace. I, yeah, I know, there's these, I know there's, these, there's these red flags in this relationship, but, but you know what? I mean, it's better than being alone. See, even in the moment when we're reactionary and when we're looking around at other things instead of putting our focus on God for godly fulfillment, ridiculous things can come across as plausible. And see, for each and every one of us in here, it's like, yeah, a can of spinach is not going to bring you strength, but when you have no strength, you will try anything, right? When you have heart sickness, you will try anything, and there are things, it's like, man, you don't want to go down that road, but in the moment, if your focus is on anything other than God, you'll try it. Because maybe, just maybe something else will bring fulfillment. We see where this goes. Verse 19 says, and Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So he called his name, she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Do you catch that there? See, when, when our focus for fulfillment is on anything other than God, it's never enough. It's never, 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 right? You guys know the song? Never enough. It's never enough. See, Leah has six sons, and she's still hoping that her husband will love her. Rachel finally has a son, and do you see her response? In the middle of childbirth, in the time where women are like, I am never doing this again, right? In that moment, she's like, is there any more in there? One son is not enough. One, one paycheck is not enough. One, one relationship is not enough. It's, it, it's over and over and over again because we are pouring, we are pouring this, this effort and energy into broken people and broken machines instead of focusing on the God above who sees and hears and has purpose for us already. See, the, the conclusion this morning, what I want you to understand is that the, the reality is that the world is full of hurting and broken people inside the church and outside the church. We're trying to put our focus and, and, our, and our hope in, in things like spinach. We're trying to put our hope in relationships and, and money and career and, and health and, and children and all these different things. And, and I get it. It's harmful and it, and it hurts and, and it can feel like broken situations. But the reality is all these things will disappoint. And you will never find the fulfillment you desire until we begin to look to God. This is, David says it this way. 
in Psalm 39, 4 through 7, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. And that word selah, he's saying, just stop there. Think about that. Think about your life. Think about how fast things go. Think about all these things that we try and put our, put our hope in. Think about all that. And he says, verse 6, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. He's saying, God, help me to understand the things that I look at around me. Help me to understand that these things do not fulfill uh, uh, being in a relationship with another broken person is not going to make you whole. Having the right job is not going to make you whole. Having the right grade is not going to make you whole. And my question is, how often do we put our focus on those things instead of putting it on God? Because I kept thinking about this this week. I kept thinking, God, God, all the, the things I, I try and find my identity in. And I kept thinking, how often do I focus on these things rather than God? How much of my time and effort and energy is put into these things rather than just spending time with my heavenly father? You see, Leah, Leah so longed to, to be seen as, as valuable, and yet God saw her as valuable already. Leah longed to be seen and loved, and yet God saw her and loved her. Leah longed to have purpose, and yet God already had purpose for her, and it's the same for each and every one of us. Amen? The things that we long for when we look around, God is saying, just look to me. Would you look up to me? Would you, would you stop being heart sick and look to me for your fulfillment and your joy and your love and, and the peace that I can offer you? Would you look to me? So this morning, my question is for you. What is that that you're looking at? What is the thing that you so long for that you think is going to bring you fulfillment? Because the reality is it never will. It will just leave you with a bad taste in your mouth and just an empty feeling. And it isn't until we stop and we look to Jesus and when we look to God and say, God, I'm just going to praise you now. It isn't until that that we can find that fulfillment we so long for. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love, your mercy. I praise you for the fulfillment, God, for offering that. I praise you for the, the hope that we can have in you. And God, I pray that you would just continue to bless us as a people, that we can live lives being fulfilled in you so that we can show others what that looks like. God, we love you and we praise you and it's in your name. Amen.